It was broken in a horrible <laughs> masturbating accident. Okay. God. Um, okay. okay. Uh, this show's becoming too yeah. real now. Yeah, it I think it's time uh, to wrap it up. Welcome to, hey, did you ever see that movie? I'm your host, Dez, and as always, I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Dylan. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Woo, nicely delivered. And joining us again, the podcaster with a thousand potions, Mickey. And on this farm, he shot some guys. <laughs> Fucking love that line. <laughs> love that line. And last but not least, the podcaster, Packing Heat, Tony 2.0. It's the first time I've got that right. Go. I was picking beans in Guatemala right off the trees. Nice. This week, we will be discussing the 1995 thriller, The Usual Suspects, written by Christopher McQuarrion, directed by Brian Singer. It stars Stephen Baldwin, Gabriel Byrne, Benicio Del Toro, <laughs> Kevin Pollack, Chaz Palminteri, Pete Postlewaite, and Kevin Spacey. As I always, have to tell you, <laughs> I was looking at this cast last night going, I wonder how many of these Des is going to totally fuck up. <laughs> well, I hope I didn't disappoint you. Not 85%. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, as always, this podcast will contain spoilers, so if you haven't seen this movie, I suggest you go watch it. Then come back, listen to this podcast. All right, and now it is time for another edition of Disaster Beast Theater. So sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to Disaster Beast Theater, where me and my two co-hosts will act out one scene from the movie that we are reviewing for you this evening. So please, sit back, grab some popcorn, and enjoy the show. All right, you all know the drill. When the number is called, step forward and repeat the phrase you have been given. Understood? Number one. Step forward. Hand me the keys, you fucking cocksucker. Number two. Step forward. Hand me the keys, you cocksucker, motherfucker! <laughs> That's enough. Step back. Number three. Step forward. Uh, hand me the keys, you cocksucker. <laughs> In English, please. Gimme? <laughs> uh, in English? Hand me the keys, Kaksa. What the fuck? <laughs> Number four, step forward, please. Hand me the keys, you fucking cock sucker. All right. I see that, folks. Okay. And now it is time for the Fast Five. And this week I have chosen 80s versus 90s movies. So here we go. Number one, Blade Runner or The Matrix? Mickey. Blade Runner. 
And Lynn. Blade Runner. And Tony. I'm going to throw off and go Matrix. I believe the correct answer here is Blade Runner. But I do love <laughs> the Matrix. Okay. <laughs> Number two, The Breakfast Club or Clueless. Mickey. Fucking Breakfast Club. Do it. Oh, boy, I do love me some Clueless, but Breakfast Club is a classic. Tony. I concur. Fucking Breakfast Club. It's the Breakfast Club all day. That is the correct answer. Number three, Ghostbusters or Men in Black. <laughs> Ghostbusters. Tony. Yeah, who are you going to call? Uh, Ghostbusters. <laughs> and Tony, what do you got on this Bull, Bullshit, it's Men in Black. I want that little flashy thing where everybody forgets stuff because the <laughs> UFOs are here and the big green men are coming. Tony, I have to agree with you. If I was going to sit down and watch one of these two movies right now, it would have to be Men in Black. So that's the how, correct How do you answer. beat Jay? How do you beat you Jay? You cannot no. beat Jay. I mean, with unless Dr. you have a flashy thing. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thank <laughs> Vangman's good, but overall, I think I would rather watch this movie, Men in Black. I don't know. Maybe not the better movie. Uh, number four, Batman with Michael Keaton, the original, or The Crow. Mickey. Oh, are you asking me what I like better or what you like better? <laughs> what you like better. <laughs> I know what I like better. Yeah. <laughs> As his own opinion. The Crow. Opinion. Because okay. I love and Brandon Lee, the crow. I knew you were going to pick the crow. And Dylan. <laughs> now, if it had been Batman Returns, I know, Michelle I Pfeiffer, put it in. Yep. then that would, it, I would go there. But because it's the first one with Jack Nicholson, <laughs> it's the crow. And Tony. I'll go crow as well. Absolutely. Uh, the right answer is Batman. You're all incorrect. Batman. No, you're wrong. <laughs> uh, and this is my favorite out of all of them. Number five. An officer and a gentleman, or Titanic. Mickey. I'm going to have to go officer and a gentleman. Mm. Dylan. I can't believe I'm going to say this because it means I'm going to have to watch it. I've never seen Officer and a Gentleman. Get <gasps> the fuck out of fucking Dodge. <laughs> Absolutely. Are you shitting me? It's a classic. Never oh, seen it. My. Okay, why do you even do a movie podcast? Keep in mind, I haven't seen it in a million years. <clears throat> but so. you've seen it. Tony, which one? Absolutely, Officer and a Gentleman. It is Classic. a thousand percent an Officer and a Gentleman. This movie right has it all. I laughed, I cried. It's a love story. It's, a, it's oh, it's just, it's. He got out the Oculus. <laughs> yes, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's it's an amazing, amazing movie that we need to do on this podcast. Okay, um, uh, let me give you, oh, okay, with a box office budget of $6 million and a box office gross of $67 million, this was considered a major success. Huge, huge, Wait a minute, $6 million was all they spent on this film? Correct. And they brought wow. back 67 Yeah, you'd think with the uh Money went actors, a lot farther in 1995. Right? I mean- Pretty good fucking well, Now, if you think about it, you know, not that I'm trying to jump ahead here, but, you know, you've got the scenes in the police station. So that's not a ton of like, you know, visual effects or anything. The stuff that's on the boat, which you go back to the boat so many times, he's just using the one boat and, um, you know, some stuff in a hotel room, some stuff in a building. Like, yeah, it, like you've, when he kept sets down, I think he was able to spend the money on his people. 
You yeah, know? and he had a, quite a cast. So. Oh yeah. yeah, he's got a he's got an all star hit list here. Absolutely, he does. I mean, though some of these actors are a little bit campy. You know what I mean? Um, but you know, overall, it's a strong cast. I mean, I think that Kevin Pollock is a little campy, a little goofy, and you know, we're not getting the best Baldwin brother here. I mean, <laughs> Stevens, he's okay. He's okay. <laughs> He's fine for the movie, but these two well, actors... the other Baldwin brother actually shot somebody. So oh, shit. <laughs> he was unavailable. The real Kaiser Soze. He's, okay. the, he's the real Kaiser Soze. Okay. Let me give you a synopsis on this. Uh, and Dylan is now taking control of the show. So we should have a nice, easy <laughs> sale here. The sole survivor of a peer. Hang on. Let me start this. Off. The sole survivor of a peer shootout tells his story of how a notorious crime criminal influenced the events <laughs> that criminal. began with five criminals meeting in a seemingly random police lineup. Okay, there you go. I figured I'd bring a little <laughs> extra sauce to it since it's all I get. Yeah, we, we decided that that was where we had to go because um, he's just too saucy. Can you imagine another <laughs> hour and a half of that? Jalyn. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes, we are going to get into the breakdown. So I'm just going to say really quickly here. Um, so as you guys know from watching the movie, the movie jumps forward, jumps sideways, jumps backwards, jumps. It's jumping all over the place. So like, don't worry about where I am in the reading. Just talk about whatever you guys think of and it will come back. Around. <laughs> so, Wild West style, buffet style. Yeah. So it's uh, it, this, especially with this movie, like some movies, it's like you kind of can keep it going. But this is just you're back and forth so many times that it's impossible to do. So, OK. All right. Do we want to do first thoughts before we jump into it, honey? Or yeah. do you just want me to go ahead? Let's do some opening thoughts. Mickey, have you seen this movie beginning to end before preparing for the podcast? Yes, a few times. And uh, memories of it? Remember loving it? or um, I, I remember... I think I started the theater when it first came out and I remember having a mad crush on Gabriel Byrne because I just thought he was so sexy, sexy Irishman. Um, I I just thought it was so well done in, in like it, that was, this is one of those movies that it, it was like watching an M night Shyamalan movie where at the end you're like, Oh my God. Like, and I said to Tony last night, I can't believe this came out in 95. Like that was 30 fucking years ago. Like crazy. <laughs> I feel old because I remember when it came out, you know what I mean? Like it was, and it doesn't seem like it came out that, and it, 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 um, it aged well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was great. I thought, you know, some of the cast, I mean, we'll get into that later. I thought Benicio del Toro, I think this was like his breakout role, I think, but I thought he was fabulous in it. Um, again, Gabriel Byrne, um, Pete Postlewaite. I think he's awesome. Um, I thought it was just a, a really, a really cool movie. Yeah, I love Gabriel Torres. Or is that Me too. Del, Del Torres just go ahead, Tony. Ask him. Tony, go. What? What do you want me to ask him? If you've seen you Miller's about? Crossing. Everyone's <laughs> seen Miller's Crossing, Mick. It's one of the I've greatest films seen, ever. I've never seen Miller's Crossing. God, Jesus does. How do you really work haven't. on a podcast that does movie <laughs> reviews for Christ's sake? Nicely played, sir. I mean, honestly, it's a Coen Brothers movie. They don't do garbage. They only do the good stuff. Get I, with the program. Yeah, I don't, Miller's Crossing. I don't think I've ever seen it. Who's in it? I'll put it this way. If you are a fan of great acting, Miller's Crossing has some excellent acting. Not only is it a good script, and it's well shot, 
and but some of the players in the game are just at the peak of their performances so you, you gotta check I've, it out maybe i've seen especially it, if you like uh you know the period is the 1920s and 30s and it's just it's played up so well by everybody in it so you gotta check it out you're gonna enjoy it interesting um as far as usual suspects goes uh i have seen it i enjoyed it terribly uh when it came out i think it did age well i agree with mick um a few little things that I see in it now that I didn't back in the day because I was a little taken with it as a younger person and, you know, kind of life kicked in and saw some stuff later that, you know, why would you meet your fence at this Chinese pagoda in the open in like a park and exchange a suitcase full of money for a bunch of drugs? Does that seem right. like normal? No. No. I'll meet you drive you. your big Cadillac Eldorado convertible with five guys in it with a yeah. bunch of guns right up the sidewalk. Does that seem whatever? Yeah. Point is, is it's, it's a well done film. I think it's uh it's definitely a, a point that you go back and you, you enjoy it even the fifth and sixth and 10th time you see it. So it's a good movie. So then I like, what'd you think? Uh, I agree with thoughts? the panel that uh, it is, it aged very well. Um, loved Benicio del Toro in it. He's just the, 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 the made up voice thing that he's doing. It just, I love it. It's great. Um, I definitely had, it? Oh yeah. I had seen it before. I think you showed it to me at some point on like DVD or something. And I, I didn't see it in the theater and definitely had that like at the moment, the, Oh my God moment. Like I didn't see it coming at all. I totally believed what the film was telling me that it was Gabriel Byrne. I'm like, yep, that's who it was. Nope. Not at all. Not even close. Um, I also get kind of get a kick out of the fact that you have the most unreliable narrator ever. So you don't really know if any of this is true. Right. Like, yeah, you don't know. How would you know? Because he's So, so unreliable. Yeah. So I saw this one again in the movie theater like Mick did. And I just remember being fucking stunned by this end. And it wasn't even like the charm wasn't even so much the twist in the end. It was how it was revealed that it was right there in front of us the whole time. And you're like, Oh, 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 Oh. And it's just, ah, it's just, it's one of the best endings in cinema history. Everybody talks about the end of usual suspects. So, and can you believe Pat's never seen it? What a Magoo. All right, here we go. Delin, take it away. On the deck of a ship in San Pedro, California, a figure identified as Kaiser Soze speaks with an injured man called Keaton. The two talk briefly, then Kaiser appears to shoot Keaton before setting the ship ablaze. The next day, FBI agent Jack Bayer and U.S. Customs agent uh, Dave Kuyan arrive in San Pedro separately to investigate what happened on the boat. 27 people have been killed in the fire. There appears to only be two survivors, a crippled man named Roger Verbal Kint and a hospitalized Hungarian criminal and crewman. Bear interrogates the Hungarian who claims that Kaiser Soze, a Turkish criminal mastermind with a nearly mythical reputation, was in the harbor killing many men. The Hungarian begins to describe Soze while a translator interprets, interprets and a police sketch artist draws a rendering of Soze's face. Meanwhile, Verbal Kint tells the authorities everything he knows in exchange for immunity. After making his statement to the district attorney, Kint is placed in a police station office of Sergeant Jeff Rabin, where both he and Kuyan request to hear the story again from the beginning. So 
I love this opening because it sets up the end of the movie and you don't even realize it, especially the scene where you're watching Soze kill Keaton, but you're watching from Verbal's point of view and it's just like he's hiding behind a bunch of rubble, you know, like uh, what's like cables and tubes and crap ropes and yeah like i was like i was like why are they showing this like i can't understand why they keep going back to this thing full of ropes and then like at the end you're like oh because that's where he was hiding no but but you're missing the point of this opening scene you're missing the point of this opening scene so you said we're watching through the eyes of verbal so if you pay attention to this opening scene they make a couple of things very clear and they underline it first of all kaiser soze is wearing the same gold watch that Verbal is going to pull out of his pocket and put onto his wrist at the end of the movie, which is, if you're paying attention, tells you that this is probably really what happened. We're not seeing one of his fairy tales. Secondly, they make a point of showing the stack of ropes and they show the spot where you can see Verbal hiding and looking later in the movie. But in this scene, there's nobody behind the ropes. It's empty. So we now know that Verbal was never behind the ropes and he was actually the one who shot Keaton. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Very well. I noticed the watch thing. Actually, I I use the lighter. I agree with you because he does have a gold watch and he has a gold lighter and he has an old school, they call it a trench lighter. And it's like a World War I style lighter. It's not a common Bic or anything like that. And uh, it's it's very unusual and whatever, yeah. and it you know, so it it isn't easy to pick it up, but it's the idea that you'll see it when he lights the cigarette as he's walking away, and Kuyan puts it together, and he's like, "Wait a minute!" He tries to run after him, and it's too late; he's gone. Yeah. So great opening scene. Great opening scene. Sorry, Dylan. Did you want to say anything else about it before I bulldozed your? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I was it? trying to get to the point that he was never there, but you you took care of it for me, so thank you so much. But he was there. <laughs> he so wasn't Arita... behind the ropes, you fucking fool. Oh, I know. Vicky, go ahead. <laughs> I missed you guys. Yes, he I says, really I did. know. <laughs> he says, yes, I know. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Serenity now. So, Mickey, you can add anything to the uh, the opening scene there? Did you have any thoughts on this? Um, I I didn't notice the watch at all. I, I will say that <clears throat> watching it now, I haven't seen it in several years, but watching it now and knowing what I know, as I'm watching him in the police station, like I can, you can see him like look like, like looking at everything. And so now I'm like, oh, so I guess if you've never seen it and if you, if you like really pay attention to every little tiny thing, you might be able to guess it. But like that, like you said, I was like blown away by the, the first time I saw this movie, the ending, I was just like, I was like, my jaw hit the floor. Like what? Yeah, but I love what you just said about how you notice him looking around and noticing everything. So the first time you watch this, you really don't like make notice of that really. It just yeah. kind of feels like a guy in an office kind of noticing everything. But then when you get the reveal, you're like, oh, that's what he was doing. He was mm-hmm. making the story up. So yeah. well, like one of one of the things that 
stands out the most to me is what he Kobayashi, right? It's Pete Puzzlewaite. It's a white dude. He's not Japanese. There's right. Japanese writing on everything. And I'm going, this is a fucking white dude. Why did they not pick a Japanese actor to play this? And then I was like, oh, because this is his his Kobayashi. He's not going to give the real name because he doesn't want that to be traced back to him. He's making yeah. up a name to cover for this guy whose name is probably like Smith or something like that. And it just was like, oh, okay. Like now I get why they chose to put a white actor in a role with the name Kobayashi. Let's move on, shall we? Verbal's tale starts six weeks earlier in New York City when an armored truck containing spare gun parts is hijacked in Queens. The driver of the stolen truck was grabbed from behind and never saw the person or persons who accosted him, but the own unknown hijacker spoke to him. Subsequently, the NYPD round up five different criminals. Dean Keaton is a corrupt former police officer who was apparently given up the life of crime, and he's arrested while eating dinner at a fancy restaurant. Michael McManus is a crack shot with a temper and a wild streak, arrested in the middle of the night in his bed. Fred Fenster is McManus's Hispanic partner, who speaks in mangled English and is nabbed on a street corner. Todd Hockney is a car mechanic and part-time hijacker who forms an instant rivalry with McManus and is picked up while working on a car in his garage. And Verbal himself, who is a con artist that suffers from cerebral policy. The five men are brought together for a lineup and are told to say the phrase, give me the keys, you fucking cocksucker. Uh, they all manage to butcher the phrase, and later, while sitting in the holding cell, McManus convinces the others to join forces to commit a robbery targeting New York's finest taxi service, a group of corrupt NYPD police officers who escort smugglers to their destinations around the city. Their attack on one smuggler goes off without a hitch, with further reaching consequences as numerous other officers are indicted on corruption charges. I loved this scene with them coming up behind, stopping in front, and then coming up on the side. I mean, like, they box them in so fa so fast. It was it was a great scene. I loved that. I thought that was really well done. <laughs> uh, I agree with you. Um, I agree. And, you know, are we? At, did we do the lineup yet? I'm sorry. Yes, <laughs> we did. So, and it doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want. Pay attention. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a Des and do fun fact. Did you guys know that they were laughing in the scene because Stephen, um, what's his name, kept farting? Benicio del Toro. Benicio kept del farting. Toro. Yeah. I heard a lot of this was ad lib too. Some of these like different things they were doing, like and uh, you know del Toro the way he did it. Like I heard the yeah. whole thing was kind of just they were all having fun with it, the farting, yeah, the, the accent. I, yeah. I love that. I, I just think that's so funny. Um, but no, I I. I will say that the actress Susie Amos that plays um, his love interest, the lawyer, yeah, she, <clears throat> her like, I don't know why it bothered me so much, but like when she came down the steps, her she looked like she had popsicle sticks for legs. Like, <laughs> give her a sandwich. The girl needs a sandwich. The girl needs um, a steak. <laughs> but um, you know she uh, is now married to James Cameron. Yes, oh, I was no about shit. to say. Yeah. 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 So she, she has in, money she for was, doing something right. <laughs> what, Tony? She must be doing something right. Um, so anyway, uh, no, I, I love that scene. It's just that scene was like like heist perfection. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it was just perfect. It was awesome. Yeah, it was yeah. like the Lufthansa scene in Goodfellas. It's yeah. just like you watch it and you're just like <laughs> 
Good stuff. That's your criminal mind coming out there, Delin. You better watch it. Absolutely. Tony, what you think of these scenes? Uh, I thought they were well done. And, and you know the deal, too. You don't know why Keaton and Verbal become friends. You're not sure if it's Keaton feeling like Verbal is handicapped, so he's going to do him a favor. But at one point, it's, you know, he wants out. And Verbal says, they won't let me in unless you help me. And you got to help me. And then he punches him. And then he feels bad. Verbal gives him that classic, I'm probably going to shit blood tonight. So good. So oh, good. Yeah. And it's such a it's such a cheese ball, and Keaton falls for it, hook, line, and sinker. And it's yeah. spacey, so the, the guy can do like no wrong. He may be weird, but he's a great actor, and he pulls off verbal to a T. And it's just you, you don't understand the dynamic in the friendship, but you get the point that they're they're boys for some reason or another. They never really get into it, but you know, kind of like Fenster and and. Um, Stephen Baldwin's character are big time boys. They don't, you know, you don't have one without the other. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're a duo. You get them together. So yeah, I like well the way played, they you know, and, and the whole idea of ripping off the cops is like the ultimate thumb, the nose at, you know, society and authority and whatever. These are bad cops. What are they going to do, you know, to really dissuade us? We're going to go take care of business and make out. So it, great scene. The, the the timing of the whole yeah, actual robbery is perfect, of course. And, of course, it makes the cops look like bumbling morons. And the funny part, too, is the smuggler is a guy named Paul Bartel, who's been around since the 70s as an actor, and he's hilarious and some other stuff, if you've ever seen him. He's usually a bit bit part character, but uh, he's he's awesome, so... Yeah, the, the, the fucking, the writing in this is amazing, too. Some of these, like, one-liners they give these guys, so funny. Like, when the cop says, you know who the fuck I am? And he grabs his wallet and he says, we do now, asshole. That's right. It's he like, takes, his, he takes his badge and his name tag, yeah. yep. Oh, so good, so good. But uh, also when they're, uh, when they're doing their uh, interrogation. And Todd Hockney, he gets some great lines here, you know. Uh, I can put you in Queens on the night of the fucking murder on the night of the heist. And he's like, I live in Queens, you know, like, he's like, so what? And you know, well, you know what happens if you do another turn? I don't know. I bang your dad in the shower and have a smoke. I mean, I'm fucking laughing out loud through all of this. Yeah. Not, not only does he get to be the straight man, but he also gets delivered to the punchline. I mean, that's the comedian's favorite deal. I get to play both sides of the fence. Yeah. Yeah. They're fucking great. It's really good stuff. Right, Delyn, let's keep All this right. heist going. With their loot, the quintet travels to California to sell to McManus's fence, Redfoot. Redfoot talks them into another job, robbing a purported jewel smuggler named Saul Bass. Instead of jewels or money, as they were told he was carrying, the smuggler had heroin. An angry confrontation between the thieves and Redfoot reveals that the job came from a lawyer named Kobayashi. The five criminals later meet with Kobayashi, who claims to work for Kaiser Soze, and blackmails them into destroying the cargo of a ship coming into San Pedro Harbor. In the present, Verbal Kint tells Kuyan the story of Kaiser Soze as apparently he heard it. Verbal's flashback reveals Soze's family being harassed by a rival Hungarian gang in Turkey. Soze goes on a murderous vendetta against all those who are involved. Afterwards, he apparently disappears. Thereafter, he rarely conducts business without an alias and maintains an anonymity between himself and anyone working for him. With time, Soze's story takes on mythic stature, with most people either doubting his existence or disbelieving it entirely. Des, I gotta say, 
Kevin Spacey um, picturing himself as this man with flowing locks and, you know. It's, okay. It's, it's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> so I'm going to mix two universes here. Let's mix the crow in this. Is this, is this fun boy? I mean, or what's his name? Is, who, who is the character with the long flowing hair? That's fun boy, right? In the crow? Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. So this reminds oh, me of that. Oh, wait a minute. Which one? Oh, Top Dollar. Top Dollar. Top Dollar. Yeah. Like, is, is Top Dollar and fucking Kaiser Soze the same man? I don't know. <laughs> Michael or, or, Wincott. Or, yeah. Or like, he, this is like the guitar player from Faster Pussycat. I don't know. Like, it's Greg, Greg Steele. I don't know who this is, but it's definitely not uh, Kaiser Soze. Um, so the scene where um, Redfoot flicks his cigarette at McManus. So that he was supposed to flick that cigarette off his jacket and he misfired it and fucking beamed it off Stephen Baldwin's fucking eye. And everyone was like, oh, shit. <laughs> so that was uh, that was an accident. That wasn't supposed to happen like that. Oops. Um, yeah. The, the story. For, go, for go effect, you've got to keep it because it's just perfect. That's what shitheads do to other shitheads. They flick cigarettes uh, yeah. in their eye. You know what I mean? Oh, and the director wishes hit- for that. I accidentally hit a guy in the eye with my cigarette at bleachers. Accidentally, Mickey? Well, accidentally. no. Well, yes. I flicked it at him because he was being a tool, but it actually hit him in the eye. <gasps> Mr. Oh, Jinx! No. So huh. you flicked a cigarette in the guy's eye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, we have a name for that, dear. It's called assault. Okay. <laughs> That's assault, brother. Look at Mr. Jinx. The deadly pepper. Look at him. He's so cute. Oh God! Um, I have to say though, whoops, that scene, um, the telling <clears throat> the story of Kaiser Sose and his family and all that stuff. Although I thought the look of Kaiser Sose was a little over the top, even though you never actually saw him, that story was amazing. Like it was yeah. chilling. Yeah, absolutely. You know. Um, but I, I loved it. And that guy, um, I love the guy that played, um, Redfoot. Oh, I love um, him. Peter, Peter Green. Peter Green. Great actor. Oh, I love so him. Good. And he, I, w- I was reading that he's not credited because he said the character never existed. So he didn't want to be credited, hmm. which I thought was strange, but he was great in uh Pulp Fiction is Zed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Zed's dead, baby. Yeah. Zed's dead. Yep. Oh, man. I'm going to get medieval on your ass. I'm like, oh, shit. I wouldn't want to be on the fucking receiving end of that. Nope. Oh, man. That's another good one. I think oh, the boy. other thing, too, is the, the Soze character as a young man just making his bones as a crook is another throw off to the idea that verbal has anything to do with it because they're so you know, diametrically opposed verbal is this guy with, you know, tight, short hair and he walks funny and he's not whatever. And, and it's all a ruse. It's all bullshit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the whole idea behind Kaiser Soze is does he really exist? If he is, what does he look like? You know, is he a master criminal? Is he a myth? Is he a spook story? You tell your kids, keep him in line. You know what I mean? So that, that's the, that's the propagation of that whole idea that. Absolutely. You You can't believe anything he says. He's mm-hmm. like anything that he's telling you happened. You can't believe it. But do we Just, believe this, uh, this origin story? No. Of Kaiser Soze, of nope. killing his family and stuff. See, mm-hmm. I do. I believe the story. I don't. I don't know. I believe, I, don't... I believe he would never tell anybody his real, his real origin. 
He doesn't I want think, anyone to know where he's from. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe. Well, I, I think the key to that is, is that if you tell people a story that is so outlandish, like I shot my own family just to show you my resolve, that's the don't fuck with me in the classic sense. Right. I'm going to show you how absolutely dedicated to badass I am. I'll kill my whole family before I'll sweat for a minute. You know, the, yeah. the gunman holds the gun to your wife's head and says, if you don't do what I want you to do, I'm going to kill her. And he's like, fuck it. I'll kill her first. I'll kill her for Now yeah. you have no power because that's yeah. essentially what this whole film is. It's a group of power plays on people to yeah. try to elicit a story loosely based on the truth. Dave Kuyan is the same guy, right? He's always verbal. I'm smarter than you. I'm better than you. I got it all figured out. And the fucking guy doesn't know his ass my hole in the ground. But he right. tries to play those <laughs> classic mind tricks on a on a suspect to elicit his confession slash whatever happened. Right. Well, you said yeah. you you've done that before, right, honey? When you were in law enforcement. Well, not not quite to Dave Kuyan, but to the idea where he says, you know, if I arrest three guys for murder, the guy who's sleeping half an hour later in the jail cell, he knows he's caught, right? He's he's relaxing now. He's like, fuck it, it's over. I can stop running and worrying and freaking out. I'm going to take a nap. The guy who's pacing and, and he's worried and he wants to use the phone, that guy's probably not guilty because he's he's freaking out. His heart rate's at 120 and he's going ballistic. The other guy's like, game up, you know, jig is up. I'm in, I'm in cuffs. I'm in detention, whatever. Uh, no more need to flight because my, my days are done. So there, there's a definite point to that. But it's the idea that, you know, here in, in this kind of context of the movie, Kuyan keeps probing and pushing and trying to, you know, physically almost extract a confession. And it's to it plays right into Verbal's hands. And he's just like, yeah, whatever. I'll tell you a story. You want to hear a story? Yeah, he's Come having on. fun with it. He's having right. fun with it. And it's it. also the idea that the, the more weak he appears, the more Kuyan believes he's dominating and winning. And he's getting this, this tail pulled out of him. And it's all just horseshit. And he yeah, finally and puts know- it together... Yeah. And, you know, the other thing, too, is that you have Verbal, who is weak and who is crippled, and he's telling he's weaving this story about this man with long flowing hair who's killing this one and killing that one and killing their families and killing people that talked to them once. And Verbal could never do that. He's a cripple that can barely walk. He can't even light his own cigarette. So. You know, like I say, he's telling that story with as much gusto as he possibly can to throw him off as much as he possibly can. If you ask me, I think he even says I could never do that or something to that effect in that whole tale with, with Chaz Palmateri. I like the idea of that story being true because as horrific as it is, it's fucking badass. Like if I heard that story, I would not fuck with that bird. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) if I even had the slightest inkling that I was going to like antagonize that person, I would, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> right, and that's yeah. that's the whole goal of the story is that right. is this stay away this this motherfucker's not dangerous he's you know he's a psychopath and you're yeah, next he's the devil. so back it up right yeah yeah you know yeah he, yeah he and the idea too is you know when they get the the briefcase in the in the pool room there and they see right. all their files they're then absolutely blown away by kobayashi's you know here's how Reach. it all relates Here's the yeah. job I want you to do. And by the way, here's a little gift. 
from Mr. Soze because yeah. we're going to show you he's all omnipotent, all powerful, all everything. Yeah. And we're going to get yeah. another a couple of scenes that, that give us this. But OK, keep going. Go ahead. Yeah, I, d- I did want to. I'm so glad that Tony brought up the the dossiers, essentially, because that's that's the pressure point. You know, they, these guys could have just walked away if it wasn't for that. So those dossiers are actually really important. Oh, yeah. All right. So back in the present, Kent continues to tell his version of what happened. His flashback resumes to reveal Fenster's attempt to run away, but he is tracked and killed off camera by Kobayashi. The remaining four thieves kidnap Kobayashi, believing Soze to be a cover for his activities and intending to kill him if he does not leave them alone. So they think he's Soze is fake and Kobayashi is actually the is Kaiser Soze. Um, before McManus can execute him, Kobayashi reveals that lawyer Edie Finnerin, Keaton's girlfriend, is in his office. Kobayashi also says that he has the will, the information, and the means to injure or kill the remaining four criminals' relatives if they do not go through the arrangement. So not only do they have the dossier with all of their information, but he's talking about like castrating McManus's nephew, uh, killing one of those dad, like. It's it's a lot. It would be enough to get me to do something, I think. Yeah, not me. I'd be like, oh, it sucks for them. I'm out of here. <laughs> Never like <laughs> that you. fucking guy Thank anyway. You. I... Go ahead and cut his nuts off. I don't give a shit. I think okay. it's a nephew like a kid, you guys. <laughs> Whatever, <laughs> kid. So what? Whatever. As long as I'm not hurting my dog. Screw that Mr. guy. Jinx. If it was Mr. Jinx, I, I would do it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody got anything on these scenes? Especially the, the scenes in the... um in the building with the elevator, I thought was cool. You know, they're going up in the elevator, the lights go out, boom, boom. The planning is always good in this film, but it's the idea of pasta weight carries the, the, the day because he is so measured and so calm and, and you can Mm -hmm. see him. He he very rarely has any cracks. He just delivers the story and he goes, you you know, kill away at one point. That's his response. So go ahead, Mr. McManus, kill away. And it's like, go ahead, fucker. You know, I know I gotcha. Because if yeah. you, you go ahead and want to off me, you know that there's going to be repercussions that are terrible for your loved ones. So, And that's classic Soze, too, because of the idea that I'm not going to affect you. I'm just going to kill everyone you love. So yeah. there you go. Do what I want I, or else. I right. love the look that Kobayashi gives them through the glass, too, when, you know, yeah. uh, gotcha. he's got his hand on Edie's shoulder and. You know, he looks over at Dean Keaton and Dean Keaton and looks back at him and he kind of gives him a, a little like, just go. You know, Kobayashi tilts his head up. It's like, beat it. Go do what I told you I think you there's to an go. official name for that look. It's called the guy nod. You know, yeah. you've gotten the guy nod like, hey, how are you yeah. doing? You know, like, I got it. <laughs> you got, I got it. it. I got it. That's what I got. got the nod. He got the at nod. the end of that scene, too, there's an interesting scene because you've got them standing in the hallway looking through the glass at that meeting room. And then there's like more glass beyond. And somebody walks and it's like a dark figure. And I think you're meant to believe that that's actually Kaiser Soze. But you can't see his face. He turns around and kind of looks at them, but is not like shadow, 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 as, as always with Kaiser Soze. And I thought that that was interesting because that is Kint putting that in there, that that person was there. We couldn't see him, but he was there. We saw him moving because Kint is standing over here. So there was nobody there, you know? And I thought that was interesting too. Well, going back to the character of Kobayashi too, at the end of the movie, we see this actor again. He's driving the car that Verbal gets into. So we know that this is a real person. Oh yeah, he's and he yeah. knows when he's there, 
uh, to quote unquote kill him, that ha- his boss is right there. Because if you watch the movie when he's going kill away and all that stuff, he's looking at verbal Kint because mm-hmm. Kint is kind of like to his side. He's looking at him. Yeah. And he, I think he's looking at him for, you know, like, like a, you know, like a, should, should I not, should I like, you know, how should, how do I take this? And, you know, he's just standing there and letting him do it. So right. he's, well, he's, and- he's looking at him for, for a verbal, for nonverbal clues. Right. And you know, the deal, you can't have just a, a, a origin story or just a, fairy tale or just a, a a story to keep your kids in line it has to have the punch to back it up so you have yeah. obviously a group of people here who are notoriously bad folks and they have the ability to reach out and touch you you can't run you can't hide the classic there's obviously a much larger group behind the scenes they're you know transnational crime gang or whatever the hell they are but it's the idea that you know Mm-hmm. They are the boogeyman in the night. You're not going to get away. And it's to the point where they have to prove it because Spencer runs and, you know, they tell him, hey, you can find him over here. But <laughs> to your point, too, about shadow and light, the whole movie is nicely shot because there's so much of that shadow and light where you can sort of see what's going on, but you really can't. And, you know, it's it's well done. Even that scene in the cave where they start to bury Fenster. You get a lot of, you know, day night kind of shadow back and forth. And it's yeah, just Yeah, because that light is coming from the lighthouse. So you keep getting the flash of light mm-hmm. going. And it's it's almost mm-hmm. a little dis- disconcerting. It kind of sets you off a little bit. And I also really, really appreciated Benito del Toro's um physical acting, because he's dead. But yeah. he's if you look at him, he's like this. Like he's not just laying there like on the, like his body is all like eh. And he holds it the whole time. I was like, that's pretty impressive because it looked pretty <laughs> creepy to me. Yeah. <laughs> I really like when they, when they, um, when, when he was giving them the dossiers and he was basically explaining to them, like, yes, you guys are all like these amazing criminals and you have this, you know, criminal empire that you've done. But whether you know it or not, you've all fucked my boss in some way. And so, like it or not, you're going to pay him back. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Like, so just because you think you're badass, my boss is more badass. Do you know what I mean? Like, I love the way he was like, so you owe him. And they're like, yeah. huh? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I love the scene on the beach between uh, McManus and Hockney. I thought this was pretty good acting by uh, Stephen Baldwin. And I have to commend uh, Kevin Pollock for standing there and taking that spit bath. Because, again, <laughs> Stephen Baldwin was spitting all over his face. He was ah! I yeah, the way it's shot, you can see him. He's drooling like a dog yes, looking for yes. dinner. You know what I mean? And I, I even made a quip to Mickey. I'm like, wow, did you see that? This guy got <laughs> slathered on. Yeah, He's right. Like that was like, oh my God. Police department. It was like a Fulvester. Have you ever seen that skit, the Point Pleasant Police Department with uh, Jimmy Kimmel? Not Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, who is it, Dylan? Jimmy Fallon. Fallon. Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, oh, yeah. They put, oh, they're eating, they eat food. It's him and whoever's doing the other cop, and they're from Point Pleasant Police Department. So they'll <laughs> they're be eating, eating like, like mashed potatoes, and <laughs> like it's, they eat the most disgusting stuff, and they're going, We're for the Point Pleasant Police Department. And it's like, they're spitting just, food all over each other's face. Yes. Like you should watch eating, it. It's on YouTube. Yeah. They start right. eating chocolate pudding and fucking <laughs> just, it's, and by the end, they are just, each one is covered. And just Tony, chewed we should do up. that. 
Shit. <laughs> that sounds, yeah, like so much fun. No. You oh, do no. it and tape it. <laughs> we should do no. it on a live fucking podcast where the four of us just fucking spit on each other. Food. Oh, my okay. God. All right, go in. I don't Keep it rolling. Can, can we, can Unfortunately, we tell uh, oh, I can as I, I think on its surface, a podcast is not good for visual entertainment. Well, no, we can do, we can do, we have a YouTube channel now. And we can. Oh, oh my video. God. Yeah. All I can awesome talk video. about is okay. Melissa McCarthy. And, and she's like, okay, I got the good, we do fight club. We beat the <laughs> shit out of her. Out of each other. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's all right. Mickey yeah. told me today I was supposed to do a YouTube channel. So perfect, Nick. See, you're, you're way ahead of it. We're good. Make, yeah. Making a fight club. Uh, hey, did you it. ever see that movie Fight Club? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I've got to tell you guys this story really quick because it happened this week, so it's very funny. So we used to play this game in the house where uh, Des would throw ice water okay. over the uh, shower curtain on me when I was showering. She and then I would get tale. in on it. She tells a terrible tale. So here's how the game goes. What we do is we try and sneak in the bathroom quietly while the other one's in the shower. And if you can get in the bathroom without the person noticing and slowly put your hand in behind the shower curtain and turn the water down the ice cold without them noticing because they're like, you know, rinsing their hair. And then you go out and you hear them go, fuck, fuck, as the water goes cold. So we've been doing this to each other for a while. And Dolan had been getting the better of me. So one day, we, I mean, we've been doing this to the point where I we're starting to get I literally shower annoyed. like this, watching. I'm like, he is not getting me. <laughs> to this day, we do this. But we've been going Thank pretty hard Thank you for not doing that this. when I was there. <laughs> that might have been inappropriate. So we, we, Mickey's in the shower. My hand comes through slowly. He's like, oh, my God. I didn't know these people well enough to stay. <laughs> okay. Um, so we've been doing this and it was getting, it was getting bad. We've been doing, getting each other a lot. So Delin is in there and I decide now I'm going to get a giant, like, you know, uh, pasta pan, fill it up with water and ice cubes and just go in and just dump it over her head. So I do this like seven thirty on a Monday morning and I just hear, <laughs> she's crying. <laughs> and that was it. So we stopped for a while and now we're we're hot and heavy again with the shower game. But I suggest you two try it. So so I want to know which one gets it first. So Mickey, next time you hear Tony in the shower, just sneak in, just quietly put your She's, hand in. She Here's can't. the problem. It's not possible at our house. Oh, the a, dogs. And number the two, dogs won't go with her. No, the, the other difference is she takes a 35-minute shower, and I take about a 3.5-minute shower. <laughs> so I've got all day to get her, and she's got about a window of 11 seconds to get me. Oh, my God. Tony so, so we have a shower, and it's got a door. Oh, okay. Oh, no. That's so, more difficult than with a curtain. It's much more difficult. So the only thing that I can say that I, I do sometimes try to do is when he's not <laughs> – and he's really difficult to scare and take by surprise. So when I get him, I'm happy. But like he'll be That's in there. Nice, honey. Wonderful. I know. <laughs> he'll yeah. be in there, and I'll see him, and he'll, you know, his he'll face will be covered in soap, and I'll just I'll walk up and I'll go booty, and he'll like. <laughs> oh shit! Um, Speaking of scaring, Des was trying to sneak. Oh, I'm telling. So Des was trying to oh, sneak in and catch me and turn the water down, and I was in the bedroom and I saw him go towards the bathroom <laughs> door, and I said. He thinks he's going to catch me because I turned it on for the water to, to get warm up. Mm -hmm. so I came around and snuck up behind him and he was in the bathroom with his hand in the shower curtain and I grabbed 
Like, ah! And he went, ah! And yeah, yeah, I was I like, aha, you. gotcha. Oh my she god, almost killed that's me. awesome. She almost killed me. I think and that, then, that gives you bonus points in the game, doesn't it? Oh, Come on, I it was think the so, best. It was like it was like triple points. That's right. <laughs> she got me. She got me really. She got me really good. I thought she was in that shower for sure, and I turned it all the way. Cold. I'm like, <laughs> yes. I'm like, she's gonna scream any minute. I turned around. She was literally standing right behind me. What are you doing? I thought. <laughs> ah! <laughs> um, and then New Year's Eve at like 11.55, I'm upstairs in my room with the door shut. And I'm like, oh, it's 11.55. I'm like, I'll go downstairs, you know, give her a Did kiss. Did you have your midnight. Oculus on? No. <laughs> <laughs> the Oculus is fucking legendary now. It was actually brought up on the uh, on the podcast today on Breaking Vinyl with, in my story. But um, I opened the door and she's literally standing right there. Like she was about to, I don't even know, knock on, she almost killed me. I was about me. to knock on the door and say it's almost almost midnight. And I went like this to like knock on the door and he opened the door and I was like, oh, and he was like, ah! <laughs> I'm like, you trying to kill me before 2024? Holy shit. Is that why your hair turned white? Yes, <laughs> it was black before that. <laughs> oh my God. Dude, my oh, fucking man. driver's license now doesn't look anything like me. I've got jet black hair with a jet black fucking beard and mustache. And now I've got fucking silver hair and no beard or mustache. I think, yeah, unfortunately, he... that's how it's supposed to work, Des. You, oh. you should look absolutely nothing like the picture on a driver's license. I mean, like it's a different guy. Yeah, that should officially be the worst photo of you ever taken in your whole life. <laughs> it bad. usually is. It usually <laughs> is. That's right. Okay. Uh, all right, going on. So on the night of the cocaine deal, the sellers, a group of Argentine mobsters, are on the dock, as are the buyers, a group of Hungarian mobsters. Keaton tells Verbal to stay back and to take the money to Edie if the plan goes awry so she can pursue Kabayashi her way. Verbal reluctantly agrees to do so. He watches the boat from a distance in hiding as Keaton, McManus, and Hockney attack the men at the pier in a huge gunfight. During the battle, Hockney is killed as Keaton and McManus discover separately that there is no cocaine on the boat. Meanwhile, the Hungarians, yet untouched by the thieves, are being picked off by an unseen killer, and a closely guarded Hispanic passenger is killed by an unseen assailant. McManus is killed with a knife to the back of his neck, and Keaton, turning away to leave, is shot in the back. A figure in a dark coat appears, presumably our Kaiser Soze, and lights a cigarette with a gold lighter. He appears to speak briefly with Keaton before apparently shooting him, taking us back to the scene we saw at the start of the film. So I would love to say uh, that... It, um, the when Hockney gets killed and he turns yes. and the, the face goes white, he's seeing the light. He sees, sees light. that it's verbal and he's like motherfucker, like you know. Yep. And yeah, it's too bad he gets it because he saw him and it was too late. Yeah, I like the symbolism in that shot. It really reminded me of when they opened the briefcase up in um, Pulp Fiction mm-hmm. because you the know MacGuffin. it's kind of yeah, it is, and it's kind of left. And I mean, this whole movie, even though we see. Uh, verbal put the watch on and light the gold cigarette and get in the car with Kobayashi. You could, this still could be a million different other endings. I mean, Kobayashi, the guy driving the black car, that could still be Kaiser Soze. We don't know. We don't know anything for sure. A hundred percent. That's what I love about this movie. It's a piece of art and you could walk away from it with a million different endings because they give you that many rabbit holes to go down. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that you do get the fill in, especially when they show the shot of his feet and he's like pigeon toed on his left leg. And all of a sudden he begins to walk with a stride and he, you know, he's not 
he's not quite a Saturday night fever stride. You know, he's not strutting, but he's no. definitely walking clearly. His hand comes free and he starts to flex it. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and you, you're now like, shit, this is the guy. You know, this this whole thing was a ruse and you fell for it hook, line and sinker. And you've got the agent running after him, trying to find him going, wait a minute, this is not right. And he yeah. just calmly gets in the car and they're like, peace out, we're gone. Fuck yeah. Yep. Dude, the boat scene is fucking really good too, man. I mean, it's just like Mickey was saying earlier in the movie, you know, we get these great lines, McManus, you know, fucking doing this little children's, you know, rhyme. Oh, McDonald have yeah. fun. Never going to shoot yeah. some guys. Yeah, shot some <laughs> guys. I'm fucking laughing out loud. Uh, you know, when Keaton walks up to those thugs, ah, oh, they're just so good. These guys look so rough. You know, obviously there's some holes. I mean, when they pan back of him walking down the fucking, the, the pier, I mean, McManus is in plain sight lining these guys up with a fucking, a scope rifle. He's not far enough away. He's not far enough away from that boat. And, you know, you got $900 million on the line. Eh, be a little more careful for that. I don't know. Not, but, not only that, but I love the fact that they pick Argentinian gangsters. Yes. Have you ever heard of anyone <laughs> from Argentina becoming a gangster? No. I'm sure there are some Argentinian gangsters, but as far as like the world of drugs and crime, they're not known for their incredible skills. No. And, and Hungarians, again, another group, you know, not exactly the country of origin you would pick for your favorite crime, you know, gang, but Hey, right. I like it. It works. Yeah. And you got to oh. go with it because you, you get sucked into the film. You start to believe regardless. And you're just, you're going. Plus, yeah. with a name like Kaiser Soze, you got to have a little Eastern European influence or it just doesn't work. It doesn't. Because the, the guy in the hospital bed screaming, Kaiser Soze, Kaiser Soze, he's just so fucking believable. I just want to hug that son of a bitch. And he's, you know, fried like a chicken wing. You know what I mean? And he goes, this yeah, he guy tried fantastic. to walk out of the hospital on a drumstick. Yeah. yeah. I, he was yeah. fantastic. I, I love that the mission here is to silence a witness. It's so good. It's right. such the a whole great idea twist. is to buy the buy the guy so that they can keep him quiet, right? Oh, it's fucking great. But I did not appreciate that the suspect that was going to finger Kaiser Soze was hiding in the bottom of the ship, screaming, "It's Kaiser Soze!" Kai, he's screaming it like I'm in this room, <laughs> Kaiser Soze. Like I'd be like, listen, give me a machine he's gun. Like, I'm and lock here. That door. I'm here. I'm yeah. here. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. The guy is in like his PJs in a silk bathrobe. What the <laughs> fuck did you really think he was gonna do? Get up and yeah. start kicking ass, karate chopping no, people. Gotta be quiet. I'd be like, get me a fucking ball. No, no, no. Fast. Come on. This guy's like get an accountant or something. He's useless. <laughs> he's a cigarette salesman. Okay. Yeah, basically, yeah. He's, he's he's a tool. He's he's no part and parcel. He does yeah. have a very expressive face, though. I will give him credit. That guy made me believe he was in dire terror. Yeah, of yes. whatever oh, yeah. was going to happen to him. Agreed. Yeah. I um I I really like the scene in the car before they actually are going to pull it off when they're sitting outside the boat, you know. And Keaton's saying it can't be done. This can't be done. And you know, McManus and Hockney, you know, they they're you know, Keaton tells them. If we don't go for the money, there's a chance. It's a slim chance, but there's a chance. If we go for the money, can't be done. And then, you know, McManus and, and fucking Hockney are like, no, we're, it's worth my life to go for the money. I'm not doing this for nothing. So they're like, we're going to wait and 
take our chances. And, you know, McMahon is, eh, nothing's impossible. Like, I just liked it. You know, they, mm-hmm. these guys knew it was over and they were going to throw the Hail Mary at the end. I do. I will well, say a little thing that I don't quite understand is so verbal. According to Verbal's story, he gets yeah. into that minivan yep. with the money, and he doesn't drive it away. What? Because he, he can't he, find the keys. Can't find the keys, and he doesn't take any of the money. How did they pick him up? Is he just standing there waiting for the police? Like, sure, because that's that's crucial to his whole bullshit of getting out is to play the role to the hilt. He has to be the crippled guy who is part and parcel but cuts a deal because he has a great lawyer, i.e. Kobayashi, to negotiate with the feds to say, I get full immunity if I tell you what happened. I can now tell you whatever fucking story I want. There are no other witnesses. I am all in the world as to what you know about what fucking happened here. So it's right. it's essential to the whole plot line that he does this. So that he, so can, he can propagate the idea of verbal kin and diminish the idea of Kaiser Soze. Gotcha. Very clever. It's very clever. Oh, oh. yeah. It's, it's a very well thought out movie. Absolutely. Oh, I would almost like to see this movie done again, like a remake. Would you be down for a remake of this? I think with I the right people. Oh, I do. A little less campy, like a little mm-hmm. more serious, some bigger a hitters. More polish. A little more polish. I think this movie could be like all redone. I mean, yeah, the charm of the movie is you can't know the ending, but fuck, I watched it today and the ending again, I was like, oh yeah, fucking Kobayashi, Mr. Redfoot, the fucking uh, Corte and, you know, fucking wherever it was, Illinois. You mean the quartet in Skokie, Skokie. Illinois? The quartet. quartet. Did you call it a quartet? quartet. It's strange. It's strange. A croissant. A croissant. I mean, like, this guy was orca fat. You know what I'm saying? I love it, orca fat. Oh, my God. Oh well, my look God. at his shirt. What's a capon? What's, yeah. what's a crochet? Hey, what's, what's a, a crochet? What's a fucking... What's yeah. a quarte? Okay. Capon. It's pronounced it's capon. Get with it. What, what were you saying a few weeks ago? Um, uh, oh, God. Vignette. Vignette. A vignette. A vinaigrette. A vinaigrette. <laughs> Pirouette. Get a pirouette. Fucking pirouette. Oh, man. All right, guys. You ready? We'll buckle in and go right to the end here. Let's do it. All right. In the present, with verbal story finished, Kuyan reveals what he has deduced with the aid of Agent Bear. The boat hijacking was not about cocaine, but rather to ensure that one man aboard the ship, the Hispanic passenger held captive named Arturo, one of the few individuals alive who could positively identify as Jose, is killed. After Soze presumably killed the man, he eliminated everyone else on the ship and set it ablaze. Kuyan reveals that Edie has also been killed. Kuyan has concluded that Keaton was Kaiser Soze. Verbal admits that the whole affair from the beginning was Keaton's idea. His bail having been posted, Verbal departs with his immunity. Verbal retrieves his personal effects from the property officer as Kuyan, relaxing in Rabin's office that he used for the interrogation, notices that details and names from Verbal's story are appearing in words on various objects around the room. Redfoot is the name on a wanted poster. Kobayashi is written on the bottom of a coffee cup. Quickly putting the pieces together, Kuyan realizes that Verbal has made up practically the entire story as he talked. He runs outside just as a fax arrives with the police artist's impression of Kaiser Soze's face which resembles Verbal Kint. As he leaves the police station, Verbal's distinctive limp gradually disappears and he shakes out his palsied hand. He steps into a waiting car driven by Mr. Kobayashi. 
departing just as Kulian comes outside. It's too late and Kint is gone. Verbal Kint is Kaiser Soze. At least that, as far as they want you to know. <laughs> that's that's what my hand looks like when I stretch it out on a Sunday morning after a late <laughs> night with my Oculus. Not <laughs> <laughs> more in a C shape, I thought, but hey, whatever. Oh my God, help us. Okay. Okay. Just remember, you know, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to convince the world he doesn't exist. Can we just give a shout out to Dan Hadea because we didn't bring him up and I love that guy. Yeah, yeah he was great. Good. He was really he, good. I mean, he's awesome. And he's been in so I, I feel like I grew up with him. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he's, he's been, just been in, in about everything. 412 different things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's Cher Horowitz's dad from Clueless. Yeah. Yes. Is he? There you go. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember Clueless very much. Was he was he the dad in Clueless? Oh absolutely. No, he wasn't. No, yes, he wasn't. He was. Come on, yes, go to the Google was. machine. Let's find Google, out. Google, uh, use the Google machine. I'm looking. He was. There you Chaz, go. Yeah. Mel, no, Mel Horowitz. No, yep. Dan, oh, yeah, Dan yeah, Hadea. Mel Horowitz. Okay, Mel Horowitz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I thought you were talking yeah. about Let, Let's Clueless. be real too. This this film, that's why I question the money. Everybody in this movie plays their role well. I mean, Kevin Pollack is not an awesome actor, but he no, fits the the, yeah. the scripted character. You know what I mean? He's yes. he's kind of a smart alecky asshole crook, and it's yeah. perfect. Uh, yeah. Giancarlo Esposito is Jack Bear, the FBI agent who's gonna smoke a cigar in the hospital while talking to this <laughs> burnt guy, burn victim, and they're like, "Sorry, can't victim. do that." And he's like. He's like, you have no fucking clue what I can do, lady. Get out of the way, you know? He's, I, he's this is important. He's dropping and, hot ash on the guy. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, sorry. I, like, you aren't burnt enough, you know? You're like oh 60% burnt. So let's make it 70. He lights I mean, the cigar I think off that, the guy's arm. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, I think this is 95. I think this was before a lot of these people were big Broken names. Out. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think this broke out a lot of them and brought them, you know, I mean, Chaz, Chaz Palminteri and, you know, uh, obviously um, Benicio Del Toro goes on to bigger things. And of course, Kevin sure. Spacey, Spacey does as well. huge. I mean, you yeah. know, even Gabriel Byrne kind of goes, you know, a little bit of a moonshot got popular there in the early 2000s. And yeah, but it's so the idea that the, just to put this cast back together would be near impossible. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, not, I don't think not you on do six it. million dollars. <laughs> well, no. and, and, and even if you do that, it's the idea that you know to try and find a, a new cast of young actors who can do the same stuff would be monumentally tough. Absolutely. Yeah, true. But, uh, true. You know, it, it just it works because of it. It's like you know it, where where the holes are, they're bridged by the players in the game because they all carry it off pretty well. Right. So one of the things that I thought was a little strange here was so. Basically, throughout the whole movie, they're telling us that, you know, Verbal is being given special um, special privilege. And they say somebody with huge pull and huge money is behind this. You know, they, they want to get him back on the street so they can kill him, basically, is what he's saying. So I was, I was wondering why he was allowed to stay and continue talking to Kujan for a half hour after he posted bail and only being released seconds before the facts comes in that would reveal who he really was and ultimately spoil this master plan. It felt like, mm, like there should have been somebody there that first of all was saying, no, you're not talking to Kuyan. You're not. 
this guy is going to be put in an office by himself until he is released on bail. And at the very least, if Kuyan did get him into the office somehow, the second that bail is out, there's somebody working for the, the man that's going to be like, he's out. You're done talking. Go. Get the fuck out of here now. So I thought that was a little strange. Right. Yeah. You also know the difference. Kuyan at this point is so hell-bent for leather on getting what he believes to be the truth out of verbal. He'll tell him the fucking man on the moon is going to spring him. You know what I mean? He right. he is not beyond lying, cheating, and stealing to try to bring in the bad guy because right. he is just this rabid banana who feels like he's got some special privilege as a as a federal agent to to bring this in. My other thing is is nothing personal, but what the fuck customs is doing here beats the shit out of me. None of this occurred on a you know what I mean. None of this occurred as kind of a customs thing. FBI right. I can see the local police I can see what are we what are we transacting here so it is what it is and i think even though it has holes like that you just kind of go around it because of the idea that you know he's getting something and i yeah. think it's it's essential to the point where verbal says you know you can't protect me i'll take my chances on the street he knows full well he's no one's gonna kill him he's the man you know what i mean yeah. right. he's got a ride waiting baby if you know what i'm saying you, okay. you think I'm going to be in trouble? Fuck you, no. So he's got to present that image where he's going to be like, oh, I'm scared, I'm nervous, I'm a little bunny. And well, even it turns when he out, was you know, like, you're, you're talking to the devil. Even yeah. when he was, it was so good when he was like laying there and he's like, would you shoot the devil in the back? What if you miss? And then he holds up his fake fucked up hand. You know what I mean? And he's yeah. just, he's so convincing. He's so mm -hmm. convincing. Yeah, it's so good. Um it's funny. You think it's 1995. Like you think it's forever ago. You see how slow technology was then. Like he's waiting around. It's like, did it, did it, did it, did it, did it. Like the fact takes throat. about 14 minutes to finish. Like, verbal's already over the fucking second street bridge by the time that thing comes in. Nowadays, it would just be like, oh, email came in. Holy shit. That's Kaiser Soze. You know, and absolutely. Movie. Yeah, and yeah. Movie. When, when when Jack Bear pulls out the phone with the little plastic flippy thing, and he has to open the antenna and oh then start to dial the number, and it's like, wow, I had one of those. The thing weighed about eight pounds. Yeah, you know that it was only good for like twelve minutes on charge because you had to change batteries all the time. Yeah, if you were standing wow. on top of Mount Washington. Yeah, right. To get a signal, yeah. And you knew somebody else who had one. I suppose you could call a landline. Fucking landline. Do you guys have a landline? No. No. Well, I think we have a, a jack for it, don't we? Yeah, we have a jack for it, but it doesn't, doesn't yeah. like there's no service to it anymore. Hmm, I wonder if there is. There isn't. There's that nothing attached to it. You'd plug it in, it wouldn't do anything. Just curious. <laughs> Why? What are okay. you planning on doing? I'm just you, curious. Have you been watching wants, the movie Hackers? He wants he to get wants it back. He wants to call AOL and get dial-up. <laughs> I need some fucking dial-up so I can call 555-PARTY. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I thought boring. you were going to call Miss Cleo with that 1-900 number. Come on, man. <laughs> call me God. now for your free reading. <laughs> oh, oh, my shit. God. That's hilarious. That's good, Mick. That was Thanks. very good. Thanks. All right. Uh, so what else? Anything else you guys want to say anything else about the end of this movie? I'm ready to recast. Yeah, let's do it. I love. Like, I'm ready. To I, I love the final line, you know, where he, you know, like Mick said, you know, and just like that, he was gone, and he lights his cigarette, and it goes. It's fucking great. Yeah, yeah, fucking great. 
Perfect. All right. All right. Let's uh, let's recast it. Mickey, who are you recasting? All right. I'm going to recast two people. I'm going to recast uh, McManus. Instead of Stephen Baldwin, I want to put Vince Vaughn in there. Nice. I like that. And then instead okay. of Hockney, Hockney, instead of Kevin Pollack, this is kind of a stretch, but I think it would be really cool. Peter Stormare. Who's that? Oh, he yeah. Is, um, you know who he is. Yeah. Um, he was the God. devil in Constantine. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd yeah. work. That'd work. I mean, he's done a ton of other stuff, too, but that's yeah. just yeah. the thing I can think of off the top of my head. I like it. Tony, what do you got? Uh, I am going to recast Kevin Spacey and... Uh, you know, the worst part, uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank and I don't know why I think I'm losing it, but I think the only cure to my fever is more cowbell. So Ooh, I I'm love gonna, it a little walking. I'm, yeah, I'm going to have to go with, with <laughs> the, the best talker in the movie business, uh, but his name is escaping me. So please, somebody help Christopher me. Christopher Walken. Thank you. Oh, my God. It's bad to get so, old and I need to get my ginkgo biloba. Uh, Christopher Walken actually made last week's recasting couch as well. There you go. Des did not like it. I did not like it. And then then for the second, if I can, I'm going to go with Matt Dillon as Kevin Hockney, only because I think we need an air of even greater cockiness and general misanthrope kind of attitude. Because, you know, his his lines were good, and I think Pollock did okay, but I think you need a real kind of guy with a chip on his shoulder. I love, I love Dylan in anything. <laughs> fucking since, uh, since Over the Edge. I mean, fucking Dylan is badass. Oh, love him. My favorite Matt Dylan role character is definitely Rusty James. Oh, he was really so good as Rusty James. He was so good as Rusty James. Dylan, what do you got? Recast it. So I recast McManus because honestly, to me, the Baldwin was the the weak link in this cast for me. Um, I recast him with Ryan Reynolds because why not? Mm. Oh, I like it. I like yeah. it. I like it. Little you know, Deadpool. if you took like, like current it. day Ryan Reynolds and just whoop. Yep. Who yeah, I like it. Maybe was on the casting couch uh, last week, if I'm not mistaken, right? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. He was like before. Yeah, uh, yeah. McManus and Hockney, those were the two characters that made the movie feel campy for me because they're just, they're not great actors they were a little goofy uh so i think you bring in a couple of those those recasts in this movie would be much stronger i mean you could recast the whole movie and make it a comedy you know like you put like somebody like ryan reynolds in in a deadpool-esque way in mcmanus you put somebody like i don't know danny devito in as hockney you could really turn it into a comedy if you wanted to but i'd put in george from fucking seinfeld there as hockney (laughs) stanza George yeah. Costanza, sure. sticking it, they're sticking it yeah. to me. Fucking Kramer, <laughs> yada, yada, Kramer's, yada. Kramer's fenster. <laughs> Kramer, oh, how are you doing, oh, you cocksucker? Give me the keys. All right, so let me recast this. I am going to take out uh, Kevin Spacey as Kaiser Sose. And here's a problem with a lot of people that have with this movie is they say he is not physically imposing enough to be the kind of uh, legendary badass that he's claiming to be. Um, I think you can be badass with your mind, just being devious and super smart and ruthless, kind of like a Hans Gruber. 
but it is a problem for some people. So I would replace one Kevin Spacey with Edward Norton from his American History oh. X era. He can nice. play a dork. He can play like a little badass. Okay. Yeah, and I mm. yes. pull off this narration. Yeah, I think yes. recast a that's great movie. That's fucking amazing. Yeah, that's a good one. Edward Norton yeah. is. Oh, he was so. How was good that again? That. Chef's fucking kiss, Ed Norton, man. I love yeah. him. <laughs> love him. Yeah, uh, so good in fucking Fight Club, but American History X, though, unbelievably Ooh. disturbing fucking movie with really disturbing. You know what else? You know. Um, I loved him in was the one with Richard Gere. Which one? Um, mm-hmm. I'm looking it up. Hold on. Uh, oh, it was amazing. If you have not seen it, you need to see it. Um, hold on. Damn it. The Google machine. It was Primal Fear. Primal Fear. I don't think I've seen it. It's awesome. And it's got Richard Gere and Laura Linney. And Ed Norton, it is phenomenal. Hmm. I will check that out. I will put that on my to watch list. That would be, I would actually consider, we should do that for the podcast because that's a really good movie. I'm in. Let's do it. Let's get her going. All right. So we have recasted. I think everybody did a wonderful job. And I think that this movie would be even better with those picks. Maybe not the comedy <laughs> ones, but the, the <laughs> Yeah, okay. you're always poo-pooing my picks. I know. Yeah. No, they were pretty good this week. Let's do some final thoughts and rewatch scores. So for this, this movie for me, it's it's fun. It's just a fun movie. I enjoy it. I enjoyed it then. I enjoy it now. It's a movie I can watch over and over and over again because it's just fun. Um, is it campy? Yeah. Some of the acting a little bit goofy? Definitely. But Kevin Spacey gives a really good narration it's really easy to follow. Um, you know, you can pick out different stuff every time you watch it. It's almost like one of those you pick books. Like I could watch this movie 10 times. And if I let my mind wander down different rabbit holes in the script, I can find, I can be like, no, 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 that's not what it's about. This is what it's about. I could change the ending 10 times in my own mind. For those reasons, it's above average. I give this 4.61. It's a lot of fun. Make up your own ending. Make up your own plot. Tony, what do you got? Uh, wow, I can't say it much better than that. I concur 110%. Uh, I will take a, just a few more points off and give it a 4.5. But I think you're absolutely right. It's the kind of movie, it's like a good book. You put it down, you pick it up right where you left off, and you still enjoy viewing or or you know substituting what happened in your head. Cause like you said, you know, you, you've got a lot of different ways you can go with it and it's, it's just entertainment. Are you not entertained? Yeah. Are you not entertained? That's what just makes this movie fun is it's never the same movie twice, depending on how I feel when I'm watching it. Right. Uh, Mickey. Uh, echoing what you guys said. Um, like I said, you know, when I first saw this um, in the theater, it was, it, it blew me away again mad crush on Gabriel Byrne when I was younger. Um, I just thought it was so well done. It was a very, very, um, you know, jaw dropping ending for me. And for anybody, I think the first time you see it, um, I I think, you know, it could be a cool remake, but there's probably so many other 
better ideas out there that they could actually make an original movie out of instead of remaking movies no, over not. and over it's, again. It's Hollywood. Come on. They had like nine <laughs> they had but, like nine Fast and Furious, okay? This is weak <laughs> shit going on. But yeah. I think um overall I think I would give this uh probably a four and a half. Nice. Nice. All right. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> this is definitely one I would watch again. Kind of reminded me of uh, Point Break. I thought it was good. They remade it, and I thought it was pretty good the second time as well as the first time. Just one of those movies I'm going to have fun watching, you know. Uh, Dolin, what do you got? So um, I agree with a lot of what you guys said. Good fun. Uh, it's actually interesting, too, is that for a movie about a bunch of people getting killed, not very bloody. If you think about it, like when the the uh, mech, uh, the Hispanic trader gets killed, you just see blood splatter on the window. Uh, when the guy that was watching him, you know, he opens the door and you just see like blood on the side of his head. You don't actually see what happened to him to get him to that thing. When somebody gets shot, they just show like the gun and then you hear bang, bang. So I thought that was very interesting because it kept it, a lot of it to your imagination, which is a huge part of what this movie was, right? Yep. Um, well but yes, it, it has a lot of uh, rewatch value. So I'm going to take off a couple points because Stephen Baldwin bothered me through this entire movie. They put too much red lipstick on him. It was weird. It, it was so distracting. Um, it, it literally, like, if next time you watch it, you're going to notice Stephen Baldwin's red lips and be like, No, I, I, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> It was yeah. annoying. It was a little Pee Wee Herman. Plus his it hair. Like a, it's like this 90s bowl cut thing. It was like, like a bowl cut. And then the like fuck? his beard and everything was so perfect. Like they, they used like the, the trimmer to make sure it was all the exact same. It was weird. It's, yeah, it's a his right whole angle look beard. just really threw yeah. me off. Like they were trying to make him look handsome and it just made him look kind of strange. Uh, so I'm taking some points off for that. I'm going to give it a 4.22. Nice. All right. And when you calculate those scores and tell us where it lands on the, hey, did you ever see that movie charts? I will. It is a 4.4575. And that takes it to number 16. Hmm. And it is right under Lethal Weapon, the first one, and right above Constantine. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, this feels like a top 20 movie to me. So I, I'm happy with that. I think it belongs in the top 20. What's number one? <clears throat> number one is a, a tie between Beverly Hills Cop, Galaxy Quest, Lethal Weapon 4, The Thing, and Ghostbusters. Oh, my, oh my God. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. Those <clears throat> all got five points from all of us. All right. Yeah. Um, I want to know what your album's going to be called for Upstairs Oblivious. Upstairs Oblivious. <laughs> <laughs> That's so fucking funny! <laughs> Holy shit! Uh, for the for the for the listeners, uh, we have decided that Tony and Des are going to start a band, and it's going to be called Upstairs Oblivious because they're always upstairs oblivious. Oh yeah, <laughs> well, or, or upstairs Oculus. I don't know about that. <laughs> I broke the strap on my Oculus. Sucks. You're probably oh, crushed because now you're going to walk around with your hand on your head to keep it on. It was broken in a horrible <laughs> masturbating accident. Okay. God. Um, okay. okay. Uh, this show's becoming too yeah. real now. Yeah, it I is. think it's time uh, to wrap it up. So this week uh, on our sister podcast, our demented 
Perverted Sister Podcast, Breaking Vinyl, we broke down Pyromania by Def Leppard. Um, nice. I revealed some things that should Classic. never be revealed. Uh, it's on the internet forever. Go over there, check it out. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> um, next week on this show, we will be doing Back to the Future, one that we have been um, wanting to do for a long time. We will finally, once and for all, decide, is it okay to bang your mom if you're not born yet, if she's drunk and you're in a car with her? Ew. No, still the answer. Okay. I just have one question for you. Would you bang your mom? See you next time. <laughs> that was rich.